This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 266 with Jessica Turner. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 266. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Support for this episode comes from Lola, a modern approach to feminine care. To get 100% organic tampons delivered right to your door, go to mylola.com and enter the code SHAMELESS40 to get 40% off of any Lola subscription. That's mylola.com and enter the code SHAMELESS40. I'm so excited to have Jessica Turner here to talk about her new book, Stretched Too Thin. She's also the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Fringe Hours, as well as the founder of the popular lifestyle blog, The Mom Creative. Additionally, she's an award-winning marketing professional, speaker, and freelance writer. So yeah, she has her hands in a few things. And she has been featured in numerous media outlets, including The Today Show, O Magazine, Pregnancy and Newborn, Better Homes and Garden, and Inc.com. She and her husband, Matthew, live with their three children in national Tennessee. She is the shameless mom to a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And 
I think it goes without saying that Jessica is a mover and a shaker to her core. She is also completely shameless about how she has built a guilt-free life slash empire in which she gets to live out all of her dreams in spite of conventional norms and myths around mom guilt and the so-called work-life balance. So listen in to hear Jessica share how she manages working a full-time corporate job plus being a writer on the side, totally guilt-free, how she manages the most common mom challenges and how to manage them, the power of noting and affirming mom's similar experiences, how we can better manage the mental load of motherhood and professional aspirations, how to let guilt be a motivator in your life, and the difference between work-life balance and work-life satisfaction. So I cannot wait. Let's go ahead and dive in with Jessica Turner. Jessica Turner, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. This is going to be fun. You sent me an advanced copy of your book, which I so appreciate. And I'm really excited to dive into all the different things you have in this book. The content is really powerful and really helpful for shameless moms. So before we dive into the book, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now, whether that's the book or not. Right. Yeah. With the book coming out in less than a week, it's definitely the thing that I'm most excited about. So my, I'll start with my personal life. I am married to a children's book author, Matthew Paul Turner, and he is also a photographer and we have three kids. They are 10, seven and three and a half. And we live in Nashville. I work full-time outside the home in corporate marketing for a large healthcare company doing social media and content strategy for them. And then additionally, I have a lifestyle blog called the mom creative that I started in 2006. And that has evolved into me working with massive brands and I'm um, doing sponsored content and really cool opportunities like going to movie premieres for a wrinkle in time and Disney oh and fun stuff like that. And then book deals. This is my third book, Stretch Too Thin, and I'm speaking all over the country. So it's really a fun, full life, wildly different and more exciting than I ever imagined it would be. Holy cow. So yeah, I have to say when I was doing research for this interview, usually when people send me books, I'm like, oh, they're a writer. Like that's the thing that they do. And as I was doing research, I was like, wait, I think that she's like a writer on the side, but like a really successful writer. And then also works corporate life and has all these other things going on. So how do you manage all of that? That's a lot. Well, you know, what I like to say is that you can do anything that you put your mind to. I know that sounds a bit trite, but it's true. I've recognized that things are seasons. Yeah. So particularly when I was writing Stretch Too Thin, I was a little stretched too thin. I was working seven <laughs> days a week. I had my full-time job Monday through Friday. And then every weekend I was writing the book. Usually one day a week, I would get up and leave at like five in the morning, go write for a couple hours before starting my corporate job. But it was hard, but we recognized that it was just a season, right? Yeah. And my kids are little enough that hopefully they won't remember that I, I missed too many soccer games and that sort of thing. And so it's not that I'm doing it all or that I'm doing it all well during that season. My house suffered and I gained a couple pounds because I wasn't exercising as much and that sort of thing. But you do what you're passionate about and mm -hmm. there are seasons of busyness and that's okay. I think it's when you are living in a constant state of feeling stretched too thin that there's a problem. Mm, yes, that makes so much sense. So tell us a little bit about, because now that we've referenced that you have this background that is pretty vast and expansive, tell us about how your background led you to writing stretched too thin. Was it because you have perhaps experienced that before writing the book? 
Maybe, but not exactly. Okay. So I actually signed a two book deal plus a gift book in 2014, I think it was. So okay. my first book was called The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You. And that was the book that I knew that I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. It came to me when I was at a blogging conference and people were asking me all the time, how do you do it all? How do you do it all? And they weren't so much asking how I worked or how I parented. They wanted to know how I was doing the fun stuff, the mm -hmm. big birthday parties that I was throwing and crafting projects and making time to read and those types of things. And yeah. the answer was the fringe hours, those pockets of time that often go underused or wasted. I was harnessing those to do the things that I loved. And so I thought, gosh, this is a message that women really need to hear and something that isn't out there in the marketplace. And so even though I never set out to write a book, my husband was the author. That's what I did. I felt like it was an act of obedience. And when I went through the process of finding a publisher, my agent was shopping the book and every publisher that wanted the book, and there were a lot of them, they wanted a multi-book deal. Oh. And so a bit reluctantly, I signed a two book plus a gift book deal. And, you know, there's a lot of value in doing that when you're an author, because the publisher will be more invested in you if they know that they're going to have a long term relationship with you. And so yeah. it was in my best interest to do that. But I didn't know what the second book would be. And I thought after writing The Fringe Hours and the next deadline came and I said, guys, I'm still not ready to write. I had my third child, Ezra, six weeks before The Fringe Hours released. And oh so I basically birthed twice in six weeks, first a baby and then a book. And so I needed some time before I could write the next book. And I thought, you know, maybe the next book will be on slowing down. You know, maybe I'm going to learn how to take long Sabbath weekends or, you know, just quiet my life. And after six months of trying and failing, I realized, you know, this isn't my life. This isn't the type of life I want to lead. And it isn't the stage of life that I'm in. And so I need to figure out something else. Well, around that same time, I had been looking for resources for working moms. And I realized that there weren't any. And I was having an increasing amount of followers asking me about my work life combined with the other things that I was doing. And I thought, you know, this might be an interesting thing to explore. And so I conducted a survey online two years ago now and surveyed 2,000 working moms about their pain points and about what they struggle with and was overwhelmed by the response, hoped that I would get 500 and had 2,000 in wow. like a couple days and had 500 pages of open-ended answers to my questions. And it was unbelievable. And I thought, gosh, there's really something here. So I developed a course called Stretch Too Thin, how working moms can, or that, I'm starting to say the title of the book. I'm getting ahead of myself. Stretch Too Thin, <laughs> 10 Days to Overcoming the Hustle and Thriving as a Working Mom. And I feel like it was sort of the test ground for the book. And I had another 2000 women take that course. Wow. And so I went to my publisher and said, I think we've got something here. I would really love to explore this further, dive deeper beyond what I've got in the course. I sort of say that the course is the Cliff Notes version of the mm. book. And they said yes, which blew me away. And so then I set out to do more research, more one-on-one -on -one interviews so that the book would not just be my working mom story, but a story that would resonate with a mom who worked part-time from her house and a mom who worked full-time in corporate America would both find value in it. And right. I think that's what I've done. And so here I am. Yeah. With the book. And certainly my own stretch too thin story is part of the book. You've read it, but it is the only part. But it was important to me that it would be relatable to all all different types of working moms. You know, one of the things I set out to do when I started this podcast two and a half years ago was to make sure that like I wanted a place to tell stories that kind of felt therapeutic to me, but I also wanted to be of service to others. So I was like, I want to tell my stories, but also kind of share the lessons that I've learned and be able to make sure that every episode 
I put out there has actionable items that a mom can implement quickly and easily and as simplistically as possible. And I felt like that was so well done in this book. And every chapter or most of the chapters at least start with a story, something from your own experience, but then there's also immediate takeaways. There's like journaling prompts and very thoughtful, thought provoking questions and action steps at the end of every chapter. There's anecdotes from other mom's experiences. So there's so much value in the book. And I really, really appreciate that, that it wasn't, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful combination. Like it wasn't just your story, although that would have been very interesting to so many people. And it wasn't just everyone go do this and you giving advice. And it wasn't just a survey of other people. It was such a beautiful combination of all three of those things. And I think for me, that's what's so intriguing is like you want to go to the deep parts of someone's story, perhaps even the dark parts of someone's story, but then also know like, okay, this is what they took away from it. And here's how I can learn from that and put you know action in my own life. And then here's also like the collective mothering experience, like you said, whether that's the work from home mom or the working corporate mom or whatever that might look like. That's so, so valuable. So I just really appreciate the way that you curated your content in that way. Oh, that means so much to me. Thank you. Yeah, it was really important for me to have a resource that a stretch tooth and mom could pick up and have some takeaway from any chapter. And every chapter is going to be valuable. The book is broken out by each pain point that I identified in the survey, although you and I could have named them without me doing a survey, you know, home (laughs) management and work boundaries and investing in our marriages and all of these different things. And so I tried to take it from the vantage point of what does a stretch tooth and mom need to hear about this topic and not everything that could be said about parenting. What is everything that could be said about marriage? Because you can get books on those topics if you want to dive deeper into those. But I'm so encouraged to hear that feedback. Thank you. Yeah. So share Share with us what are some of the most common challenges facing working moms? This is basically like a rundown of the chapters in your books, right, right. in your book, but share with us the ones that were like the most glaring in your research. Sure. So the most glaring, really tied for first place, four out of five working moms cited home management and self-care as being challenging. And that comes to surprise no one, right? Right, right. <laughs> that we're going to put those at the top of the list that we're either struggling with keeping all things afloat at home and, or we're struggling with putting ourselves even on the list. And so those were the top two. Those didn't necessarily surprise me. The one that did surprise me is only about a third of working moms said that they struggled to have boundaries around their work and leave work at work. Mm. And I didn't know that I found that to be true as I talk with women anecdotally around the country at speaking engagements and one-on-one interviews that I did and at Stretch Tooth and Facebook group. You know, we are looking at our phones all the time. And if you have a job that has an email component, I think it's very difficult for women to put that boundary in place that when I'm at home, I'm going to be fully present and I'm not looking at work email or I'm not thinking about that thing. And so that number surprised me. That seemed a little low to me from anecdotal experience, Mm -hmm. but that is what the data showed. So that was the lowest thing that seemed to be the thing that was easiest for working moms was putting boundaries in place at work. That is interesting and surprising. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I'm like, y'all are liars. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will say, I do think that I do have better work boundaries than I had before I had a child, just because I think like the lifestyle necessitates that in some ways. But I mean, I just last night got in an argument with my husband about how often I'm I'm on my phone and I would consider most of that work use. So 
There's that. (laughs) You know, I wonder if when women were filling up the survey and that was just something that you checked the areas that you, you know, struggled with, that if by that point in the survey of the, you know, eight things or whatever was listed, that they felt like, oh, I got to leave something. So I'm going to just leave that one open. (laughs) You know, like if that had been at the top, would more people have checked it? I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. So were you surprised by what showed up the most and the least? This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. You know, I really wasn't. I think what was really surprising to me or honestly more affirming than that would be a better word than surprising was in the open-ended questions, how 
honest and vulnerable women got and how much I could relate to every single story. So mm-hmm. whether it was a woman who was a sheriff for her local community or a teacher or a therapist, we all have a lot of the same struggles. And it was really affirming for me to know that I wasn't alone. And I think that will be an experience for a lot of women reading the book and why it was so important for me to include direct quotes of what they said in that survey, because it was like, yes, that's me. Oh, I've been there. Oh, yep, that too. And that to me was surprising and affirming. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I've talked about this before on the show with my experience of having a newborn and having most of my friends have like three-year-olds when my son was born and how annoyed I was when they, if I would complain about the newborn experience and they were like, Oh, just enjoy the snuggles. It goes so fast. And I was like, screw you. This is so hard. And to be in the same place at the same time with other moms was hugely healing to me and validating to me. And so I ended up in newborn group after a few months with other families with babies born about this, like within the same month as me, as my son. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I have found my people like to have people who, when they say something, when they're like, yeah, I was up all night nursing too. And I hated it. That's feels so much better than someone who's like, Oh, you know, my son who stopped nursing three years ago. And sometimes I just wish we could go back. So to have someone who can really mirror your experience or where you listen to what they're saying, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I experienced yesterday is the best feeling in the world as a mom, I think. Absolutely. I totally agree with you there. It makes a huge difference. Let's talk a little bit about the home management piece. I'm curious what kind of input and feedback you got on that and what the challenges were, because I have kind of ways that I talk about this, but I'm curious how you talk about it and what your practical application of that topic would be for moms. You know, I think the biggest thing is that it is something that everyone struggles with or almost Mm -hmm. everyone, right? We'll say 80% because that's what the data show. 80% (laughs) are struggling with some area of home management. And that can mean different things. For some, it is just keeping on top of the chores, keeping, you know, the laundry done and put away that that's one of the banes of my existence. I feel like there's mm-hmm. always laundry. Right. I feel as I recorded the audiobook, I thought to myself, gosh, I really talk about laundry a lot. That really is. <laughs> me. Uh, that's always my example is laundry. That's, I talk about dinner. I'm like, I hate dinner. Why does right, it have to happen right. every yeah. day? <laughs> yeah. Why do you, why do I have to feed you people? Right. Yes. So, you know, just kind of keeping on top of those tasks. For other women, it's just the mental load of running a home. So that term mental load is relatively new in research. And it just means all of the things that are going on kind of behind the scenes that women primarily are the ones who are noticing. So it's that we need to buy light bulbs. It's that, you know, my son Ezra needs new underwear. It's that school uniform shopping is happening. It's that we have to make doctor's appointments. All of those tasks can be a big burden and feel really overwhelming for working moms. Um, It's also figuring out systems that are going to work for you, whether that is using services to do delivery. I talk about companies like Grove Collaborative and Amazon and Target who will ship direct to your house just automatically. You set it up and then you kind of forget and how that can be really helpful or just putting systems in place. Like I have baskets at my door for my kids' shoes so that they aren't laying in front of the door. They actually put them away in a spot that's convenient and is going to work for them. So figuring out what those systems are. 
I think for some women, it is admitting that they need help and being okay with that and then actually proceeding with hiring the help. So whether that is help with organization, help with cleaning, that type of thing. It was interesting talking to women who feel shame because they compare themselves to their mothers and how their mothers Mm. ran their homes. And I know that's even something that I've thought about and dealt with in my own life because my mom just ran such a beautiful home. And, you know, her life was different. She had Mm. two kids instead of three. She didn't work 50 hours a week like I often work and the pace of life was different. And so I feel like I can't compare my home and how she did things to the way I do mine. And doing that only eats at me, right? Nobody else is facing that. That is something that I have to deal with on my own. And so I think it's important to recognize when that kind of stuff is creeping in. And that goes into some of the emotions I talk about in the book as well and how those can sometimes be motivators for us and maybe motivators in ways we don't need to be motivated. Right, right. I love this term mental load. Is that the term that you use that you said? Mm-hmm, is- that's right. So yeah. I'm fascinated by this. And I talked about my surprise when my son was born and that no one told me that like this whole new role of beyond like the whole role of motherhood, there was also a role now of family manager that no one tells you about, but someone has to do it. And it's all those things you mentioned, like who's going to order this and order that and like get the registration forms filled out and book the doctor's appointments and make sure we know what's for dinner. Like all these random things that someone has to be in charge of and someone has to have all the spaces in their head to manage that information. And I'm sure, you know, I have one child and I'm sure that the more children you have, the exponentially larger that load is. And that was completely overwhelming to me. And I was bitter that, so I was bitter no one told me about it. And I was also bitter that it didn't occur to my husband, like, like he wasn't doing research on bottle nipples on Amazon yet. I was like paralyzed for weeks about like, which bottle do we get? And do we get different nipples? Do we get the ones that come with the bottle? Like, and I couldn't buy the bottles because I was so overwhelmed with the research on just in reading Amazon reviews and which was maybe part of my like postpartum self-care was suffering a little right. bit that I was being so <laughs> paralyzed by that. But these were the things that I took on and I did not have any preconceived notion that this would be a new responsibility. And so I think that I relate to this idea concept of the mental load that you take on in motherhood or in parenthood and that it's not talked about. Like it's not until you're like in the middle of it all and you're like, I have 1800 lists in my head and now I'm just cranky because does my partner have 1800 lists or am I just responsible for all this? And that's a huge part of home management. And it really, it's not talked about. It's like, you know, before you have a baby, you go to like childbirth classes and you might learn a little bit about nursing. And then after the baby's born, you might have a lactation consultant, but like, there's nowhere that it's like, beware, you need to keep 1800 lists in your head at all times. And that's going to be exhausting. And here's how to manage that. I love that you point that out and that you talk through that. Cause I think it's a big deal that needs to be addressed. It, it really is. You know, I have three kids and two of them, we just got through summer and summer for us, because I work outside the home, it includes summer camp and oh managing the summer camp yes. schedules and people literally in Nashville, I don't know if this is true in other parts of the country, but there are some summer camps that open up in January. So I need to start researching in the fall. Like yep. my kids have just gotten back to school and I need to start <laughs> figuring out in the fall, what our summer is going to look like and what weeks we're going to take vacation. And obviously the boy and the girl, they want different things and they yeah. don't want to be in the same camps and who's going to drop them off and who's going to pick them up and all the logistics. I mean, it is substantial. My husband has no idea all these Google Docs exist tracking camp (laughs) by summer, what the websites are, what the enrollment dates are, and all the things. Yes, it is substantial. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, I'm going to totally embrace that term mental load and start talking more about that. 
Okay. So how can moms alleviate the guilt that they feel when dividing their time between work and family? And I'm going to say that I wanted to ask this question because this is something that has come up for me in terms on both ends of the spectrum where I have moms who reach out to me and they're saying like, I have a lot of guilt about this. And then there's other moms who reach out to me and they're like, I actually don't have guilt about this. Like I want to be, it's a high priority for me to be successful in my career. And so I fully recognize that like, I'm going to see my kids just for a couple hours a day and I don't feel guilty about that. And also is that weird? And so I get both kinds of feedback and both camps have concerns about their stance on it. Like the people who are feeling guilt, the moms who feel guilty, like that can be really crippling. And then the moms who don't feel guilty are like, maybe there's something wrong with me because I'm totally cool. Like being a really like, you know, highly engaged professional. And that's just as much of a priority as being a mom. Right. Yeah. You know, gosh, I have so much to say. Where do I begin? You just (laughs) threw so much at me. So here's what I'll say. I think that it is okay to feel guilt. And if you want to really dive deep on guilt, don't read my chapter in the book, read Brene Brown talking Mm. about guilt or watch her TED Talks talking about guilt. But guilt can be a phenomenal motivator for what we want to change. So if you are constantly feeling guilt about something and it is really stressing you out, you need to look at what is the root cause of that guilt and is there a change you need to make in your life so that that guilt stops rearing its ugly head. Now, an example I might give would be if you're always feeling guilty about missing a child's band performance at a football game and it's every Friday and you're feeling guilty because you work on Fridays. Can you change your work schedule so that you can go and see that band performance and still do your job well? And can you then nip that guilt in the bud? Because that guilt is telling you something of that you want to change in your life. Now, sometimes guilt comes up because of comparison, because of social media, because of what we have somehow imposed on our lives that we think that we should do. And it has no bearing. It is self-imposed. It's not based on any sort of fact or truth in your life. And in that case, I say you need to let that go, sister. Mm -hmm. Like there is no value in that. You are doing that to yourself and that guilt just needs to stop. Okay. You are a great mom and you need to not feel guilty about that. And so I think both can be valuable. And I think it is paying attention, being present and recognizing when those feelings are happening and saying, ah, I sense this guilt here. Where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? And then when you're able to do that, you will more quickly be able to move to a healthier place than sitting in that feelings of guilt. I'm in the camp that I love work and I love the work that I do and I don't feel guilt for that work. But do I still have moments where I feel guilty because my kids get to, you know, do something and experience another room mom instead of me? Sure. But I recognize that I'm called to do the work that I do, that it's important to my family, my family's bottom line. Mm -hmm. I financially contribute to my family and help us keep our house and all of those types of things. And so I don't stay in that feeling of sadness and guilt. So I think all of those feelings happen to all of us at different points in our working motherhood journey. Right. And I think, you know, it's comforting to me to know 
That research shows that it's quality, not quantity is what matters most with our kids. And so it's the quality of the time that we spend with them. So if you only have two hours a day with your kids and that two hours, you're fully engaged and you are creating security and comfort for them and building your relationship and all those great things, then that's what's most important. So I don't necessarily feel guilt. I do have a lot of FOMO though. So for example, next week, my son's class is going to a splash park for a field trip. And I was like, oh man, I really wish that I could go. And there's a lot of times when I can go on field trips because I have a really flexible schedule, but it just so happens that I have some things that are not flexible on that day. And for me, it's not the guilt, it's the FOMO where I'm like, oh, that sounds like it's going to be really fun. And I know that he's going to be so excited about it. And so for me, I think mine does not come in the form of guilt. It comes in the form of FOMO where I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss out on something and miss witnessing this, you know, fun class experience or group experience. And so for me, it manifests more in that way, where I just have to kind of get over myself. (laughs) Yeah, and it's hard. And we all I think have those moments. But yeah, you just move forward. And I think it does become easier. Yeah. And it also, I think it makes me more aware when I have FOMO around things like that. And this will happen sometimes with my husband. My husband takes my son on Saturday mornings a lot and they'll go and do fun things. And sometimes like if they're going to the zoo for the 33rd time this year, I'm like, whatever, go to the zoo. Like I don't care at all. But occasionally they'll go do something where I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. I wish I was going. And oftentimes I'll have other things booked or whatever. So I won't be able to join them at the last minute. And then it's a reminder to me to make sure like, oh, make sure that you schedule fun things with Vinny. Because a lot of times my stuff with him on the weekend, I'm like, hey, you want to go grocery shopping with me? It kind of like I build my quality time with him into like chore time, and which is not always super fun. So it reminds me when I feel like I've missed out on something, it reminds me to like, oh, yeah, like book something that's fun and special for you guys, rather than just having him kind of tag along through the mundane things all the time. Because there was a while there where I was joking with my husband, I'm like, you're the fun parent. You always take him to do the fun new things on Saturday morning. And then I'm like, hmm, let's go to Target and get this thing. And then let's go over here and like pick up the packages or whatever. And he doesn't point. My son isn't old enough to point out that that's boring. But I'm like, at some point, he's really going to clue in that like dad does all the fun stuff. So that's a good reminder to me as well that I can control like creating those experiences for myself and him. Absolutely. That's such a good example. Yeah. So how do you see our professional roles and goals and our whys shift in motherhood? Has this shifted for you personally in terms of kind of where you were at professionally and what mattered most to you? And what does that look like before kids versus now? And how do you see that in other moms as well? I don't know that I can answer about what it's like for other moms. I can certainly say that for me personally, when I was a young professional just getting started out in corporate America, I thought, oh, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to be the chief marketing officer. And I had those really high aspirations. And now I'm very comfortable not going that high on the corporate ladder, that it's much more important to me to invest in my family and my community and to have boundaries that will allow me to leave work at work. And so that definitely was a shift that happened with motherhood. And I don't think that happens for everyone. And I think the women that want to go to the very top of the ladder, we need them. And that's awesome. But for me, that shift happened when I became a mom. Yeah, I feel like things shift for a lot of moms. I don't know that it's for everyone. But I think that we become more acutely aware of how precious our time is. And so therefore, I think that there's shifts that can take place. And I think that sometimes it's 
a matter of like, I'm going to shift my goals because I want to make sure that I have as much time as I want for my family. And so sometimes that is stepping back a little bit. I've also seen it go the other direction for sure. There's a woman here in Seattle who's started a startup right after the election last year. And she quit her job as a lawyer and to do this startup. And she had two daughters and was pregnant with her third. So she now has three little girls, three and under, and is getting funding for this like massive startup that she's operating. And I watch her and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have taken on the biggest aspirations of your career while you have these three tiny kids. And it is phenomenal to watch, but it's the opposite of what I would, I'm like, I would not sleep. I would have so much anxiety over what she's doing, but I think it's really, really cool to watch what she's doing. And so it's interesting that I think it goes in a lot of different directions. And I know I interviewed Gretchen Rubin a few months ago and asked her this question and she was like, Oh yeah, nothing changed. (laughs) I was like, nothing? Really? So it's funny to me that for some people you can really identify that, oh, being a mom made me realize that I wanted to, you know, kind of shift priorities, highlight priorities, you know, maybe rearrange them a little bit, at least for the time being. And then other people, it's just kind of like continue on at the same pace. And then other people are like, I want to go all in and really even build things up. And I've seen people do that as well. And one of my best friends has been able to move up in her job significantly since her second child was born. And for her, she was like, I didn't plan this, but it's also the opportunity came my way. And I wasn't going to pass it up because I had just had my second child. Instead, I was like, I'm going to ride this out. And luckily her husband was in a position to be really supportive of that. And she's like, yeah, it's been really, really hard. I didn't expect this, but also it's really cool and really exciting. And I got to, you know, fast track my career this way. So that's really cool too. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly, Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue, and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him, and it was getting kind of like icky, and you know, like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse. And so Active Skin Repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately. And I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect. So Vinny does not like ointmenty, creamy, lotiony things on his body, but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. 
on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Yeah, it's just so different for every single woman. You know, I'm really fortunate that my husband has a flexible career and works from home. And so he does a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to picking up kids and taking them to practices and making dinner and doing that types of thing so that I can have a more traditional corporate job. And so it looks different for every one of us. But I think that is what makes life unique and special and why sharing stories like this and women like you out there having these types of conversations so valuable for working moms. Yeah. I mean, like we've already touched on to hear other people's experiences is so affirming of our own. So, okay, let's talk about the big trigger. Is balance possible? No, (laughs) maybe. I don't like the word balance. Tell me about that. Using it. Yeah. So I just think that I don't like the term specifically work-life balance because work is part of life. It's not Mm. like you have your job and then you have everything else, right? So if things are blowing up at home, that's impacting your day at work. If things are blowing up at work, that's impacting your home, right? And so I've read a book by Matthew Kelly. I can't remember the name of the book, but he talked about work-life satisfaction. And I've really adopted that term. Yeah. So like when I was writing Stretch Too Thin, I was stretched too thin. I was really busy at work. If someone were to say, do you have work-life balance right now? I'd say, no, I guess not because I'm working more than I feel like I'm doing all of the other things. But was I satisfied? Yes. Like it was something that I was really passionate about. And I was really excited about it and it was life-giving to me. And so there was satisfaction, even though that balance was maybe not there and things were unevenly yoked. So I don't know that balance is possible, but I think that we can thrive and we can find satisfaction in yeah. all facets of our life. That like makes me want to exhale a little bit. (laughs) Yes, we don't have to go after this balancing. And I totally agree. So I agree with what you're saying about balance. And I also agree with what you were talking about in the beginning of the interview today about around the idea of seasons and that like, there's going to be times where you're like this week or this month or this quarter are going to be a little nutty, a little fast paced, a little rigorous, maybe a little chaotic, a little stressful, but that's not forever. And if it was forever, that would not be healthy for our family probably. So I think that the concept of satisfaction makes a lot of sense because that gives you the space to sometimes have work be a priority, sometimes have family be a priority and if everyone's on board and everyone's all satisfied in all those realms, then it works. And that's what matters. It's not that you're like going 50-50 on each thing. Exactly. Exactly. I think that makes so much more sense. Let's talk a little bit about relationships. You've talked about your husband, how he's supported you and how that works for you too. How can moms and dads be more connected in their relationships And in the book, you talk about different types of intimacy and some research around that. And I found that really comforting in so many ways. So if you could talk about that as well a little bit and and we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that it's important for us to remember that our kids are going to go away someday. 
And the yes. only person that we're going to be left with is our spouse. Yes. And so it's really important that you don't spend 20, 25 years investing in your kids and not investing in your marriage because right. what's going to happen, so I hear, I don't know this to be true, but what I have heard is that if you ignore your spouse for 25 years and then ignore investing in that relationship, that when your kids are gone, you don't know each other anymore right. and you're not connected in the same way that you used to be. And so that's something that I think is really important to fight for. And so I talk about in the book ways of doing that, ways of connecting, even in those years where kids are little and it's hard and ways when kids are big and it's hard, you know, and just I think the big theme is intention. That you have to be intentional about it. And this is true for everything, right? You have to be intentional about your self-care. You have to be intentional about the boundaries that you're putting in place for work at home. You have to be intentional in your relationships with your kids and just be present in the moment. And so I think it's that recognition that we need to be present and making time for one another, having honest conversations. And in the book, I talk about these 13 different types of intimacy, and I won't go through all of them. But basically, the idea is that intimacy is not just sex. It's not just getting naked, that there are other ways to be intimate intimate in a conversation. One of them was work intimacy. And I give an example in there about how I came home from work and laundry is typically my thing. And my husband had folded all the sheets that I had left in the washer that morning. He had dried them and folded them and they were ready to go. And I was like, oh man, I just love you so much. You know, like that felt intimate to me. And yeah. that's a legitimate thing. And so I loved that research that I included in the book around that, that there are these different types of intimacies and forms that we can connect with our spouse beyond just physical intimacy. Right. Right. Oh, I think that makes so much sense. And I think that I know that I really appreciated when you talked about different kinds of intimacy, I appreciated that being pointed out because I think that sometimes we think that it just needs to be physical intimacy. And there's so many other ways. And I know, especially if you're a mom of young children and you're like touched out and you're like, seriously, like now I have to also like touch my partner today. Like that sounds like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> but you like you share, you're like, it could just be like an act of service or kind words or things like that, that also present a level of intimacy. And those are really important to be, have connection in those different ways that it's not just a physical aspect and the longevity of a relationship being dependent on just those little things in those little moments, I think is so important. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about so much is understanding your own identity outside of motherhood and making sure that that actually exists, that you have an identity outside of motherhood. And I think that that's so important for our marriages as well, because I have seen it happen with women that I've worked with where they get the kids out of the house and they don't know who they are anymore. And I've had conversations with moms who are like, you know, for 20 years, I made dinner for my family. So I don't even know what food I like myself because I haven't put my own personal preferences first in so long, I don't know what they are. And I think that the same thing can happen in marriage where if you don't have that dedicated time to connect and be present, whether that's through conversation or acts of service or like watching TV together or being physical together, whatever that might be, that absolutely you'll get the kids out of the house and be like, who are we? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> so I think that's so, so important. And I appreciate your examples there. Do you have other examples that you use in the book for ways that spouses can connect with each other? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite ones came up through some research that I did in, in talking with a marriage counselor, and he gave the example of reading to one another, which I'm a big oh. reader, but I don't ever read with my husband. And I interviewed a woman who she and her husband read together a lot. And, and she, it's a much longer quote than most of the quotes in the book, but I loved her description so much of how, you know, you feel their breathing and you watch their chest moving up and down. And sometimes you'll, you know, smell wine 
wine or garlic from dinner and just how intimate that experience can be. And I'm sure there are other things like that. He talks about, you know, playing games together or just laughing, like really genuinely laughing with one another as being a way to connect with one another. But that reading one immediately came to mind because I thought, oh, gosh, that's not something we have ever done before. But I can see how that would be a really intimate experience. Yeah. I love the example of playing games. Before we had a child, we played a lot of games. We had this one card game we played where we would have like these long term tournaments where over the course of a couple months, we would like play up to 10,000 points. And then whoever won had to take the other person out to a dinner wherever they wanted to go. And we have not done this in six years since my son was born. And we're actually going away at the end of the month for two nights. And I was like, I think we need to bring the cards. Like we need to get a card game going. And there needs to be like a little competition. And it's funny, those little things that you don't even like you don't even remember that you used to do them or kind of what they brought to your relationship and how much fun they were. And I love the idea of, you know, having those traditions, habits, whatever they are, and wherever you can connect to keep that relationship on point and in check. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. All right. So what are some ways that we can spend quality time with our families or our kids when we only see them in small doses, if we are not necessarily in small doses, but if we're on this track that as working moms, we're, you know, eight hours a day, maybe more are spent at work. What are some small ways that we can really make sure that our quality time is high quality when we are only seeing our children for a few hours a day and we really want to maximize that? I think it's important that when you are with your kids, you are with your kids and that you are present with them. So you are engaging in conversation where you are looking in their eyes and you're really listening to what they're saying and you're not distracted by your phone or your laptop or the other things running in the back of your mind from that mental load that you're carrying. You know that you're really present with them. And whether that is doing one-on-one dates like you talked about or it is just sitting at the breakfast table with them and having your breakfast with them and talking to them at that point or A lot of schools will give parents the opportunity to have lunch with their kids if that's feasible with your work schedule to do something like that, even on occasion. You know, those little moments really add up to big, meaningful moments. Um, I spoke with one woman who said that her daughter is 13 and her favorite time of day was still when her mom tucked her in and that she would get in bed with her and that she would talk to her and that she would just hear about her day and what was going on and what was going on with her friends and relationships and how meaningful that was. And so you're right in that it is the quality of the time that we're spending with her kids, not necessarily the volume of time that we're able to spend. Right, right. I love the idea of getting in bed with your kids. My son has a loft bed and I can't get into bed with him. It's like this twin little loft bed and like the weight limit's like 140 pounds or something. And recently I was like, we need to get him a bed that's on the floor so that like we can get in bed and chat like that. Cause right now I'm like trying to like climb halfway up on the loft to like be close to him to talk to him. It's not an intimate situation at all. And I was recently thinking like, we need to shift this or like, sometimes I'll bring him into my bed to read at night instead of me standing next to his bed to read just cause yeah, I love that idea of that closeness and those little habits and routines I think are so comforting to make such a difference. And I remember my mom when I was probably like through junior high, she would come in and say goodnight to me and rub my back for a minute. And that was like our time. I don't know that we ever had profound conversations. She might remember otherwise. That was definitely like our special time. And so now I'll do that with Vinny. I'll go in and rub his back. And I have literally sang him the same song every day of his life for six years. And I'm like, I will sing this song and rub his back for as long as he will let me because it is... Go ahead. I just want to know, are you going to sing that song for us now? 
Because I feel like I should get to hear it. I know. Not today, but not today. Okay. In the interest of time, I will spare you all. <laughs> it's an amazing song. It's not even like the song's called Baby in the Air, but it's by Casper Baby Pants. And like when he was an infant, it was a fun little thing where it's like, you know, put your baby in the air and shake him up there. Like, so it's kind of this interactive song and then hold your baby down low and swing him to and fro. <laughs> so like we don't do any of the actual actions. I just stand there and sing the song. And for some reason, like baby in the air was always a favorite of his. So yeah, that's the one we sing. It's kind of funny. I love that. <laughs> I Sorry, I interrupted. No, I just had okay. to know. I'm just wondering like now, because even as he approaches six, I'm like, are we going to be like when he's 14 and I'm still going to be rubbing his back singing baby in the air, which I would 100% do. <laughs> but I... You're going to sing it at his wedding. Like, I mean, let's I hope just... so. We I... said it here first. Okay? Right. I'm hoping that would be amazing. And I would be more than willing to do that. Especially if his wife is into it, because my goal in life is to make sure, especially since he's going to be an only child, my goal in life is to make sure that he needs me for as long as possible. I've created, I'm like, I'm going to start a new hashtag called uh, creating codependent kids because I don't ever <laughs> want to set him free, which I know, like, I'm being so sarcastic when I say it because I'm not like literally into keeping him codependent, but there's this part of me that's like, please stay with me forever. <laughs> so, and no, I think, I, I think that. everyone can relate, right? Yeah, totally. My little girl is seven and she's definitely the most clingy of my three kids. And she said, mommy, I'm never going to move away from Nashville. I'm always going to live close to you. I said, well, what if you, you know, live far away because your husband wants to live somewhere else? And she said, I'll divorce him. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Like, you know, that's, I don't want to encourage that. That's, right. you know, that, that <laughs> you don't want to say that, right. you know, but her heart was there that she she just wants to be close to mommy, which at seven, I will take. Yes. Yes. Oh, so sweet. Okay. So final two questions. Tell us in what ways you are a shameless mom. I think I'm a shameless mom in that I am a mom who is passionate about herself and her own needs. And I'm shameless about that. I don't think that there is anything wrong with me taking care of myself and with me pursuing my passions and that I can do all of those things and love my kids really well and still be a great mom. So I think that makes me a shameless mom. I love that. And where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at Jessica N. Turner. I also have a book account because I love to read so much. I'm always talking about books. And that account is Book Snobbery. So on Instagram? Instagram, On Instagram. So that's my favorite place to be is Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Jessica N. Turner. Facebook, you can find me at The Mom Creative. And my site is themomcreative.com. So all of those places, if you want specific information about the book, you can go to Stretched to Thin Book. Com. Nice. And I know right now you are in pre-launch mode with the book and you have some like special things going on for that. Can you share that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you pre-order Stretch Too Thin, which you can pre-order it anywhere, Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any retailer, probably even your indie bookstore, you can get it from them. Go and pre-order the book. It's right around $15, $20. It's hardback, but you will get the audiobook for free and the online course that I talked about, the Stretch Too Thin 10 Days course, totally free. And you can just buy the book wherever you want and then go to that stretchtoothinbook.com and fill out the form and we will send you the audiobook and the course information. So super easy and a great value. You might as well buy it now versus waiting a couple days and then not getting those freebies. Right, right. Oh, this has been so great. And I will make sure I link up everything you just mentioned over in the show notes so people can go over to shamelessmom.com and get all that information, including where to get the book 
what have you. So Jessica, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I really appreciate you being here. And like I said, I love, I think the book is a beautiful combination of storytelling and actionable items that can really help moms to improve their quality of life and help them feel better about the direction they're headed in and to be able to help them move more shamelessly through the challenges between juggling work and family life. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was my great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show. So you never miss an episode. You can do that directly. If you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, that will put you in Apple podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.